So the book of Romans is largely an explanation of the gospel. Here's the gospel, here's how it works, and here's how you live based upon what you find there. And, and that's what the book of Romans is. Uh, the good news of Jesus Christ. That's, that's what we find when we look at the book of Romans. In a typical gospel tract, and I'm thinking of the classic ones. Some of you, the, the, you this is brand new news. You're not familiar with gospel tracts, but, but some of the old standards are steps to peace with God and uh, the four spiritual laws. And they start out, so, sometimes they will start out with, some of the different ones will start out with God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. But then the next thing they do, or the first thing they do, is they start talking about sin. And there's a really good reason why you start with sin, because unless you know you are lost, you don't know you need to be saved. And the average person walking around doesn't walk around saying, man, I wish I knew how to get to heaven. I feel so lost. Uh, They are. They don't realize what a bad situation they're in. And so Romans starts out that way. After introducing and talking about the importance of the gospel, he starts on this passage describing how lost in sin we are. Pretty much Romans 1.18 through 3.20 covers the fact you are lost, you are a sinner, you are in trouble. The passage we're looking at today, verses 18 through 32, uh, it, 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 it does a couple of things. And we're re- looking at, going to look at this exact same passage today and in two weeks. We're looking at it from different angles or different views, viewpoints. Today we're looking at it in terms of explaining how we became as bad off as we are, how we got into the situation that we're in. Uh, Then the next time we're going to look at at how bad that actually is. Uh, But we start, it starts, our bad situation starts when we start to suppress the truth. Then God, uses this phrase, gives us over, or your Bible might say gives us up uh, to uh, what we have asked for, and we sink to a new level as we do that. And as, as we look at this, if you're not familiar with this passage, it may be just one of the most discouraging things you've ever read. If, it, if you are familiar with it, you might walk out of here with your blood pressure risen a few points because you just get angry looking at this passage. But let's start with this suppressing the truth thing. Chapter 1, verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness by people who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And so, suppress. Uh, what, what in the world does that mean? It means to put down by force, subdue, quell, crush, to keep something from appearing or being known, to restrain, to conceal, as in, I suppressed a laugh. And I looked up the Greek word, and I found out that the English definition really nailed it pretty good. Uh, As I I looked there, it really didn't add anything, so I thought, why bother to to go into another word that I'm going to pronounce badly? (laughs) But but that's pretty much what it means, is is to to quell, to keep down, to push. Think about things that you suppress. You might try to suppress a sneeze. By the way, what is your success rate? Does anybody have a a good success rate at suppressing a sneeze? Anybody have a really good failure rate? And you try so hard, and it just comes out anyway, and and it's so frustrating. And how funny do you look when you try, right? Do people around you look and say, oh, that poor guy, or do they laugh? (laughs) You know, it depends. Or or speaking of laughing, to suppress a laugh, right? So you are at the table, and you're taking that drink of milk. And in the middle of that drink of milk, you know what happens. (laughs) 
Somebody does something funny. How, how important is it to suppress that laugh mid-drink? And how often, <laughs> what happens when it doesn't get suppressed? Because the laugh is just there, and, you, and it just comes out, and the milk goes everywhere, and you just go, man. <laughs> and and you, you can't really criticize the person, because you know you're the one who told the stupid joke, and, and uh, you, you know how important it is to suppress, but we fail, and, and we make that mess. And we can get much more serious with that suppress. The police might try to suppress a riot, which essentially means to keep it calm before it starts, you know, to, to prevent it from happening, to, to suppress a riot. Yeah, the, the government might try to suppress a revolt and, and uh, you know, trying to prevent the revolt from happening at all. Uh, but the point is to suppress something is hard. It is not easy to suppress something because the thing naturally wants to happen. There is an energy in it. There is a power to it. There is a logic and a reason to it. And, and, and people suppress what is evident about God. That's what, what he says here. They, they suppress that thing. Suppressing doesn't happen by accident. Suppressing something is intentional, and people put effort into it. It takes effort. Why do people not know the truth? Because they intentionally, with effort and, and, and purpose, try to prevent the truth from being known. To prevent it being known by whom? By themselves or by others. Uh, they, they can do it both ways. And, and in verses 19 through 20, having said that, he, su he supports what he just said. Uh, so we read, uh, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived, being understood by what has been made, so that they are without excuse. And, and there's a whole lot in here. You can just wrap yourself around that. You don't have to work hard to find evidence for God because the evidence is there. We see it. We naturally know it until we are trained to not see it to not recognize it, to not acknowledge it for what it is, but otherwise the evidence is there. He says it's evident within them because God made it evident to them. Psalm 19 starts out with, The heavens declare the glory of God. And it's just there. And you look out. And I've told you before, sometimes driving in the morning, I look around, and we live in a, in a wonderful place to do that because there's a lot of horizon around us. And sometimes I'll find myself, I'll be looking like this at the horizon. Sometimes I do this. <laughs> and I go, no, don't do that. <laughs> but it's like, it just, it, it, you, look, you look at the horizon, and then you look beyond the horizon. And, and it's all put there by God. And I think, sometimes I think of the role I play. And I start looking at that horizon and there's this tiny little spot moving in this tiny little car, you know, <laughs> beep, beep, you know, trotting down the road, making such a tiny little impact. He is the God who did all this, and we suppress that as if he didn't. And it's just so evident that he did. Uh, the heavens declare the glory of God. I like Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4. When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you think of him or the son of man that you consider him? Yeah. When you are so big and I am so little. And he says, when I, it, it starts out when I look at the heavens. And, and, and the heavens declare the glory of God. And we look at these things. And we just, we just should be responding in awe 
We should, we should, um, it's just there. It's obvious. God is there. We see what he's done uh, in his creation. I like Ecclesiastes 3.11. That's the verse that says he has set eternity in their hearts. There is something in our hearts that, that just reach for eternity. You know, it's not Buzz Lightyear to eternity and beyond. It's, it's not space adventure I'm talking about. I'm talking about eternity. We don't, if, if you aim for this life only, if your target is the end of the 70 or 80 years that you have, or some people have the, 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 the get more, <laughs> Yeah, I keep thinking about that because my heritage doesn't get more. <laughs> you know, my genetics that I have inherited, uh, we don't get more than the 70 or 80. And I look at that and I think about that. And if you aim, if you aim that far and your aim stops there, is your heart satisfied with that? Does, do you not look beyond that? Do you not want more than that? It's, it's there, it's in us. He has set eternity in our heart. The, the desire for more, the want for more, the want for something that matters. And I, and I think of these poor kids who grow up thinking that they're surrounded by this, this environment that just, they think of suicide. Why? Because it's meaningless. Because they're taught and it's, and it's, and it's laid on them and they believe that there's nothing more than this life they have. And, it, and there's absolutely no purpose to it. And, and, and they see that. And I remember being a junior higher thinking, what's the point of it all? You don't have to be very old to see that. And I saw that and I thought, why bother? And I was 12, you know, and, I, and I'm looking around. I could see there was no purpose to life if there is nothing beyond here. And I didn't, I, I, I say that and I, I wasn't so much going if there's no purpose beyond there. I was just going as far as there's no purpose to life. I wasn't suicidal. I don't think I've ever had a suicidal thought in my life. I'm just not wired that way. But, but uh, I, I still saw life as purposeless. And these poor kids are growing up, and they're learning that it's purposeless, and they have no reason to live because there's, 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 we're designed with eternity in our hearts. We're designed to have these things. We want them. It's part of, it's part of how we're made. And because these things are simply part of how we're made, part of how we're wired, we, it's, it's, like, it's not like we have to prove God. We have to suppress God. And, and then we get trained in it so well, we think we have to prove God again, but it's, it's really not that difficult. The, the denial is not plausible. Pastor John's not here, but I'm going to pick on him anyway, is, is a very common thing to happen in here is I will be in my office working, and he will walk in. He'll say, hey, are you back there? And out of the room comes, no. <laughs> I deny it every time. It's not plausible. <laughs> he comes in anyway. I don't get it. I told him no. You know, <laughs> uh, the person denying the truth, the person we're denying the truth to, the person we're trying to convince is ourselves. That there is no God. And, and, and so we, we go back to where this verse starts. For the wrath of God, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who suppress the truth because he has placed it within us that he is there. He reveals himself to us. He lets us know he's there, and we deny that. And he's back there saying, yeah, I'm back here, <laughs> and except he's not back there in a corner tucked away. He, by the way, if you come into church looking for me, that's my corner, okay? <laughs> People come in here all the time, and they're going, are you here? Where are you? It's like, 
I'm here, this pastor's office. Okay, uh, until I get a big one back there, but that's waiting. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, he, he's, he is, ra- it, the wrath of God is revealed. In other words, he's fed up. Wait a minute, I am, I am the God of the universe. I made everything, and you deny that I exist? You trade me off for a golden calf? You trade me off for a car? You trade me off for a bank account? You trade me off for a little fame and fortune? You, I'm the God of the universe, and, and, and I've made it known to you, and you reject and deny it and pretend it's not real? And it make, it, it's, I, I, it, I feel it. You know, I, I feel like when I'm trying to express it, it sounds too petty. But I know what I'm expressing is not petty at all. Because not only is it's not just about knowing him and recognizing him, but it's about he's the one we need. And he's the one who tries to give us what we need. And he's the one who wants a relationship with us. And we're back there saying, no, back off, buddy. I decided I don't believe in you. And that's what we do. That's, that's this thing that we have. And that's where Romans starts this explanation of where the bad news comes from, uh, where uh, it's that we suppress the truth. But it doesn't stop there. And so we have this God gave them over. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them up to the vile impurity in the lusts of their hearts. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. Verse 28, and just as they did not see to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a depraved mind. And I want to tell you something. Each one of these God gave them up is a new plateau, a new lower plateau, a a new rung down a ladder descending to the depths of hell. And every time he gave them up, he lets them go down another rung. And the thing is, is once they get to that rung, that exposes to them the next rung. And they go down. And it exposes to them the next rung. And they go down. And I say they, but they are we. We are they. Each description sounds as bad as the other, but each represents, at least to me they sound as bad, the wrath of God... uh, Sorry, verse 24, he gave them over to the impure, to vile impurity. Verse 26, degrading passions. Verse 28, depraved mind. I mean, I don't know how to scale those and say this one sounds worse than the others. They all sound equally bad, but each one is still a further descent into the pit. Because they rejected the truth of God, he gave them what they wanted and let them live as if there was no God. He gave them what they insisted on, right? Verses 24 and 25, Therefore God gave them up to the vile impurity in the lust of their hearts so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for falsehood and worshiped and served the the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So they they dishonored their bodies. He says they descended. He didn't say, I I used that picture ladder run because I was trying to picture a way to express this. And my first idea is plateau, but I don't know how you go from one plateau to the next, but you go from one level to the next, and a ladder seems like as as good a way to put that as any. Extending, climbing down the ladder. 
and they dishonor their bodies, and they believe the lies. And then we go to verses 26 and 27. For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for that which is contrary to nature. And likewise the men too abandoned natural relations with women and burned in their desire toward one another, males with males committing shameful acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And they descend another rung. From that level, they, they, so first they suppress the, the, the truth of God and they turn to, to idolatry, to imagery, to, to, to the images of corruptible things instead of God. And then they go down there and from that level, the God's not even a part of it. They start looking at each other and saying, whoa. And, and they find these relationships that are wrong. So he, he gave them over to this and they descend another rung. And they exchange, the easiest way to put it, natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. And then we get the long one, verse 28 to 32. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a depraved mind to do things, those things that are not proper. People having been filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, and evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil. That's a Wow phrase, inventors of evil, um, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unfeeling, unmerciful, although they know the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same but also approve of those who practice them. And he sends them, he, he gives, he, they go down another rung. They go from simply, from, from society, and we're talking about society here. We're not talking about, indi- I mean, we're talking about individuals in society, but we're also talking about society as a whole, what they do and what they approve. And society goes from these things happening in society to society approving them. And you have to understand approving them isn't just saying, stamping it with a seal that says okay, but stamping it with a seal that says this is good. And our society stamps it with a seal that says this is good. And God gives them over to an entire shopping list of sins. And they are on the bottom rung of sins given here in Romans chapter 1. And I say, I, I say that in terms of the bottom rung given here in Romans chapter 1 because they've gone down one, two, three rungs. But there is more yet to go. They, they, they haven't hit the bottom yet. And, and I'm going to demonstrate that, too, because this thing has happened before. We look at the flood. Okay? That was a rung farther down. We look at Sodom and Gomorrah, and that was a rung farther down. The book of Judges, let me read some verses out of the book of Judges. The, the book of Judges is the book, it is the dismal book of the Old Testament in the sense that it is in the book of Judges that the nation of Israel sinks lower and lower, and you start wondering how low can you go. Sorry. <laughs> Just came to my mind. It's the only way I know how to put it. Right? Chapter 17, verse 6. And I'm, I'm not going to spend the time it takes to tell the story this is attached to, but it's a story where it's, it's just, as you, if you try to, you go, why is this in the Bible? 
It's hard to see God anywhere in this story. It is people, some of them are working in God's name. They're doing the most bizarre things. And chapter 17, verse 6 explains it this way. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And the explanation of the sin is that everyone did what is right in his own eyes. And the solution that they think would help is if there was a king in Israel. And what we find is as they get kings in Israel, that's not a solution either. But, but uh, at least while for some of the king, during some of the kings, it was better. But if the king isn't better, it ain't better. Chapter 18, verse 1, we move on to uh, another story. Or actually, it's a continuing, continuation of that one. Chapter 18, verse 1, in those days, there was no king in Israel. And in those days, he goes on and starts telling the story because there was no restraint on what they would do. And we look at chapter 19, verse 1. And it came about in those days when there was no king in Israel. What's he saying? When there was no restraint on what the people might do. And we go to the last chapter of the book of Judges, chapter 21, verse 25. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. They made it up as they went along, and as they went along and made it up, they said, this is right. And it wasn't right. It wasn't remotely right. They were not paying attention to right and wrong. They were making it up as they went along. And, and it ended dismally for, for them at this time. But it's, we're not finished. Because let's look at the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 6, verses 15 through 17. See, we've looked at the past. Now let's pull out my little crystal ball. No, throw away the crystal ball. That goes with those rungs. <laughs> and look at Scripture. Revelation 6, 6, verses 15 through 17. Then the kings of the earth and the eminent people and the commanders and the wealthy and the strong and every slave and free person uh, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the sight of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? And do you know what we see there? We see people saying, We know God is angry at us. And instead of saying, God, please forgive us, they're saying, Mountains fall on us. Hide us from him. And you start going, Wait a minute, How, what, what part of this don't you get? If God is mad at you, I, he's not saying it's too late. He's saying you can still make peace. You can still come to me. God's being angry at you is not, or does not have to be the end of the story. Because God, God the Father and Jesus the Son, I, don't want to, I, I hate to say God sent the Son because some people have taken that and said, yeah, he sacrificed his son, the poor son. What an unfair thing to do. Understand, the son was a willing partner in this relationship. And, and it, what, what is, it is not a shameful thing that God did. It is a noble thing that Jesus Christ did to, as the king, sacrifice himself for a lost and needy people. And he did that. The God who did that does not want to judge you. He's not saying, look at how bad you are, I want to judge you. He wants to save you. And they know this. They're calling him the lamb. 
By calling him the lamb, they're saying the lamb that was sacrificed. The one, they're not saying just, they're not, they know. They know up here, but they will not believe here. Why? Because they have, they have so deceived themselves and they have sunk so far that they are believing the lie. And, and, and it, 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 it's a stubborn rebellion. It is suppressing the truth to their own harm. I have one more in Revelation chapter 9, verses 20 and 21. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the work of their hands so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear, nor talk, and they did not repent of their murders, nor of their witchcraft, nor of their sexual immorality, nor of their thefts. So all those things that they suppressed God and hung on to, God has revealed, and they refuse to repent because they want those things instead. And so this this stair step down, it's not merely a thing of the past, it's a thing of the future, it's a thing of the the state of mankind who refuses to believe in God. And and you can go to the question, well, God, why does God give them over? Why does he do that? If they're going to do that, why does he allow that to happen? Why does he not simply put a stop and stop giving them over, God? Why why are you doing this? And, And the answer is God has given us free will. And free will is not free unless it's free. And God respects what he has given us. And he does not take it back. This is a really difficult issue because you know what the funny thing is? I absolutely believe in free will and God has given us free will and we are responsible for our actions. And I absolutely believe God has predestined everything. (laughs) You go, how can those both be true? The answer is because they are. They are both true. Because God has given us free will, he will yield even his will to us. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of salvation. That's God's will, but he so has, uh, respects the free will he has given us that he will not compel us. We have the ability to resist him. Bethany was telling me about a girl she shared Christ with in China. She said the girl was shaking. She was resisting so hard. You could tell the Holy Spirit was working on her. To her knowledge, the girl still hasn't come to Christ. And you go, you can't, you can resist. You can resist. I remember my own story. I've told it so many times, but, but you know, I was up in the Bill Mason's living room, and, and uh, I say up because it was on the South Hill, and I lived at the bottom of the hill. So I was up in his living room, <laughs> And, and absolutely convinced I needed Jesus, but I didn't want to be beaten the, de- the debate, so I pretended that I wasn't, and I didn't pray till I got back down to my apartment in Brown's Edition. I resisted God's will. I resisted the Holy Spirit, who was absolutely convicting me of my sin and my need for him, and I resisted for about an hour <laughs> because I, I absolutely knew. But you can, res- you can resist the Holy Spirit. You, you, you have free will, and your free will is that, that powerful that it can, it can resist God's will. God has created it that way. He, he, he will even yield his will to do so. Parents, do you sometimes allow your kids to do things that you wish they wouldn't do? It's part of being a parent, right? Uh, what, the, you, know, the, you know, the problem with raising kids is that you're actually raising adults, 
You're raising adults. And in order to raise them to be adults, you have to allow them to experience opportunities that they will, where they will either do well or do badly. Because if you don't, they, you, you have these kids who all of a sudden they're 18, you say, okay, out of my house, freeloader. And, <laughs> and they don't know what to do. They've never had to make a decision on their own. They've never had to live by their own volition and free will. And they don't know how. And God, that's what God's doing with us. He is training us up. He is raising us. He gives us free will. He wants us to act according to his, to, to, he wants our will to be free to submit to his will. But he will not compel us. If he did that, we would be puppets. If he did that, we would not be doing decisions. We would not be honoring him. We would not be showing love to him. Free will isn't free unless it's free. It doesn't mean God isn't sovereign. It means man is responsible for his actions. You are responsible for what you do. You never get to say, God made me do it. You never get to say, the devil made me do it. At the same time, you can say, I yielded to God and did what he wanted. You can say, I chose to do this. And that sounds arrogant because, believe me, I, you know, we accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. How many of us want to pat ourselves on the back for being so awesome and how, as opposed to looking at God and saying, you're so awesome? You recognize it's him. He's the one who saved us. I, I did, what I did was nothing. What he did was everything. It's not like we get a pat on the back for that. Uh, he didn't comp- compel us. He allowed us to do this. So when God gives us over, he allows us to have what we have insisted on having. But he doesn't say, I'm done with you. He, you know what he does? He says, your will be done. What an amazing thing. The God of the universe looks at us and says, your will be done. Fine, have what you want. And, and, and he gives them over. Because what are his options? One, one option would be compulsion. You know what the other option is? I mean, the one option is to compel us to do. The other option is judgment. So he has, he has this option of, of he can compel us to do what he wants us to do, or he can judge us for not doing it, or he can give us over and let us reap the benefits of what we've done. He's done it before. They call, for instance, the flood. I mentioned that a little bit ago. Sodom and Gomorrah. I mentioned that a little bit ago, where he says, okay, it's time for judgment. Peter, in 2 Peter, in the same passage, where we read that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of salvation. Do you know what his, his t- t- topic that he's working around in that is? Is judgment. Uh, in the middle of his passage on judgment, he talks about God is not willing that any should perish. That's why he is, has not destroyed things yet. I'm going to start at verse 3 and read all the way through verse 10 of Ch- uh, first Peter, 2 Peter 3. Know this, first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers uh, fell asleep, all things continue just as they were from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water. Then he talks about judgment, through which the world at that time was destroyed by being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly people. It was judged by water. It will be judged by fire. That's what he says. And then he has this little interlude where he explains why he's not judging right now. 
But do not let one fact, this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And he says, he says the reason he's not judging now is because he's patient. He wants you to come to repentance. He is giving time for your will to submit to his. And then he goes right back to judgment. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be, this says discovered. I I, I want to say dissolved because that's the way I know it. (laughs) Discovered. Found out, hiding, I guess. In the middle of judgment that we demand and we deserve for our sins, God is being patient with us, not willing that any will perish, but that all will come to the knowledge of salvation. So in the midst of our descending down into the pit, he still wants to save us. He still wants to reach us. God gives them over to their sin and their, the penalty of their sin, but even though he gives them over to that, he does not give up on them. Jesus did not come to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. That's his will. That's what he wants it so badly that he's allowing the sinfulness to go on until the day finally comes when it's judgment time and there will be no more options. We need to go back to the good news because, man, we feel lost right now. We need to go back to the good news, salvation in Jesus Christ. Salvation is necessary because we are sinful people who have rejected God. We live in and are part of a world that has descended several steps away from God toward the pit of hell and somehow thinks it is better down there. Because we have insisted on our sin, he has Uh, given us up to our sin, but he has not given up on us. And in spite of our sin and rebellion, Jesus wants to save us, and God is patiently waiting for a time. Uh, And and so by any chance, should you be here and you have put up with me this long in this harangue, you know what I envision? It doesn't mean my vision is true. It's not a vision from God. This is a vision from my little brain. I envision someone sitting and struggling with conviction. I envision someone here saying, I, I hear it, I know it, I feel it, but I don't want to. Why not? What do you think you have to lose? Do, do, do you understand how important this is? This is, not, this is not a philosophical debate. This is, this is not a... Uh, gee, a new way of thinking. This is the battle for your soul and your eternal destination. If you have not asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior, recognize you have something to be saved from. You are sinful and guilty. I'm not throwing stones at someone when I say that. I'm not slandering you. I'm saying what is true about every one of us. Most of us in this room have Acknowledge that. But if you have not, and and God is working you over right now, I ask you, stop fighting. Yield to him. And take Jesus as your Savior. Let's pray.
Dear Lord, every, every word in your word is true, and we see it. And Lord, we are sinful people in the midst of sinful people. And we know that aside from what you have done for us, there is no hope for us. I ask that if there is one person in this group, or two or three, Father, however many there may be, that, that they not fight, but yield, that they acknowledge their sin and take you as their Savior. Receive the gift of eternal life. I pray in Jesus' name.